This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language and mature themes. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 304. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you. I'll also tell you what's new in my journey as a writing professional. So let's get started, shall we? Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 45 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Miriam was brought back to consciousness by her new thrall, who cut her own arm and fed her blood to Miriam, after Braddock's abuse had severely depleted her energy reserves. Once she was able to move and think clearly again, Miriam tried to stop herself from feeding any more, but the thrall told her that she needed to do so now, while she could still control herself. If she waited too long, Miriam's vampiric hunger would turn her feral. When that happens, the thralls always die. Miriam coaxed the thrall into giving her her name, Lena, though it's clear that Malcolm stripped away most of the woman's identity. But Lena was gentle and patient as she instructed Miriam on how to feed on her safely, and as Miriam drank more deeply, the psychic connection called the sharing began. Within the sharing, Miriam relived the scenes of Lena's former life. Seralina Greyhaven was a rising star in the world of medical technology. Her company, Seraph Diagnostic Solutions, had developed a test kit that would revolutionize the fight against a crippling genetic disease. But when Malcolm Ardvalos tried to buy Seraph from Lena and her partner, Lena balked. Malcolm wanted to drastically inflate the price of the kits beyond what many people could afford to pay, while using the Church of Eternal Brotherhood to distribute the kits to the needy, putting Seraph's life-saving technology in the hands of religious evangelists. This blend of cynical profiteering and manipulative philanthropy didn't sit well with Lena, no matter how much money Malcolm was offering her. When she revealed that she knew Malcolm was a vampire, and he coldly warned her to keep that knowledge to herself, that was the final straw. She walked away from the bargaining table, determined not to let Malcolm get his hands on Seraph. But Lena had underestimated Malcolm's vindictiveness, as well as his influence over other investors. Malcolm began sabotaging Lena's reputation, painting her as an arrogant do-gooder who wanted to save the world, but only if she got the credit for it. Within a year, Seraph was broke, and Lena's partner sold his half of the business to Malcolm. If Lena couldn't come to an agreement with them, the company's few remaining assets would be sold at auction, and Lena and all her people would be ruined, 
With no good options, Lena came back to Malcolm. He offered her a new deal. He would rescue Sarah from bankruptcy, saving the careers and livelihoods of the people who had joined Lena's startup. In return, Lena would become an administrative assistant in Malcolm's organization. Though he couched it in the euphemisms of business, Malcolm's bargain was clear. To save her people, Lena would have to become Malcolm's thrall. He had already taken her company, her reputation, and her life's work, but still it wasn't enough. He wanted her body as well. Coldly, Lena agreed. Making the Cut A Novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 45 Now Miriam withdrew from the telepathic bond of the sharing, too sickened to see any more. She suspected that Lena's protective amulet had survived about as long as it took for her to sign Malcolm's contract. As for what happened after that, well, the details weren't as important as the result. Please don't be sad, mistress, Lena said, caressing her cheek and wiping away her tears. Miriam wasn't sure how much blood she had taken, but she was fully healed now, and the half-elf woman didn't seem noticeably worse. I'm sorry, Lena, Miriam said, looking away. I just... What Malcolm did to you? Oh no, mistress, it's all right, Lena said. She touched Miriam's cheek again and gently guided her eyes back to her own. Master Malcolm was stern, and sometimes he seems cruel, but it was really all for the best. Miriam gaped at her. For the best? Yes, I was arrogant and prideful. Lena said, matter-of-factly. I wanted to help people, but my motives weren't pure, because I wanted the glory for myself. Master Malcolm taught me to accept my true station in life. Her eyes took on a manic gleam, like a woman in spiritual rapture. My purpose is to serve someone greater than me, to give all that I am so that they can be lifted up. I haven't been able to fulfill that purpose for a long time now she said, blushing. Master Malcolm was displeased with me. But don't you see? In giving me to you, he's giving me the chance to fulfill my purpose again. Miriam didn't know what to say. Lena ran her hands fondly over Miriam's skin. I saw your true self, mistress. In the sharing, when you saw into me, I saw into you, too. That's how it works. She smiled brilliantly. You are good and kind, and you care for the people who are entrusted to you. I know you will never hurt me. She took Miriam's hands in her own and kissed them reverently. I will be the best thrall you could ever ask for, mistress. And maybe... She looked up, her expression suddenly hopeful. Maybe someday I'll even prove myself worthy to receive your blood gift. Miriam had thought that her heart couldn't break any further. She was wrong. You 
have an extraordinary heart, Seralina Greyhaven, she said, choking back tears. And I will do everything in my power to restore the part of yourself that Malcolm took from you. Lena looked abashed. Mistress, you mustn't say such things. I was wrong. I was... You were magnificent, Miriam said firmly. Malcolm is not your master any longer. If you belong to me, then believe my words, not Malcolm's. Do you understand? Lena trembled. No, mistress, but understanding is not required. Only obedience. Miriam sighed. All right, I can see this is going to take some time. For now, remember this. You are a good and noble soul, and not all of what was taken from you was bad. My job is to remind you of the good in you. Your job is to embrace it. Can you do that for me? Hesitantly, Lena nodded. Yes, mistress. For you, I would do anything. Good. Miriam grabbed the edge of the bed and pulled herself to her feet. Then let's clean off this filth, and then you can help make me presentable for polite society. I've been out of contact with the elders for two days, and I suspect Malcolm will be displeased if I allow them to become suspicious. Sasha entered Danny's cell and found that Rebecca was already there. She and Danny were sitting facing each other, Rebecca on the chair, Danny on the edge of the bed. Their hands were linked, and they stared into each other's eyes with the utter stillness of a deep gestalt. Sasha reached out and touched them gently with her mind. Their unified consciousness touched her back, giving her the telepathic equivalent of a warm embrace. Then they disentangled themselves, drawing their minds back into their own heads, and turned to face her. Hey, Sash, Rebecca said, smiling. Sorry to interrupt, Sasha said. I wanted to let you know that the hospital approved your transfer, Danny. You can start work whenever you feel up to it. I also talked to the psi therapists, and they're willing to do the memory reconstruction for you, if that's what you want. Danny nodded thoughtfully. Thanks, Sasha. Before I commit to anything, though, I was hoping you could help me talk it over with someone. Sasha shrugged. Of course. Who do you need me to get for you? Danny pointed at her own head. Daniel. That surprised Sasha, but only for a moment. She grinned. You know what they say about talking to yourself, don't you? Yeah, yeah, Danny said, waving her hand in a get-on-with-it gesture. Can you do it or not? Set up a mind link between two halves of an androgyne? Never tried it before, but I don't see why it wouldn't work. Let's give it a shot. She sat down on the bed beside them, slipping her small hand into Danny's larger one. She looked up into Danny's serious blue eyes and smiled encouragingly. I have no idea what this is going to feel like for you, but try to relax and just let it happen, okay? Danny nodded. Rebecca sat back and watched, her gentle, expressive face alight with interest. Sasha closed her eyes and reached out to Danny's mind. Danny opened up to her readily, and Sasha reached past the surface and into the deeper memories shared by her and Daniel. She sensed the second personality that lingered there, not quite conscious, 
but dreaming as it floated amid the records of his life. She reached out and touched it, opening her mind and offering it access to her own brain space. Daniel stirred and awoke, using portions of her brain and Danny's to collect his thoughts and return to full awareness. Hey, Sash, he said, giving her a mental wave. This is a pretty arc idea that Becca came up with, isn't it? Definitely, Sasha agreed. Seems to be working, though. Give me a sec to pull Danny in here. With the link to Daniel firmly established, Sasha reached back up to Danny's conscious mind and drew her in as well. In a full gestalt, their personalities would have coalesced and united into one, but that wasn't what they needed at this point. Instead, Sasha constructed a psychic plane, a virtual meeting space where they could communicate without losing the distinction between self and other. The space she built was simple, a field of endless black with a floor of glowing white. But there was no need to get fancy for this, and she needed to leave enough of her own brain's processing power available that Daniel could think for himself. Once the plane was in place, Sasha gave a mental tug to Daniel and Danny, and both of them manifested beside her. They appeared like avatars in a VR simulation, forming astral bodies that reflected the way they saw themselves. Daniel was dressed in his Skyball uniform, from Empire University, his hair shorter and perfectly styled. His gym shorts and close-fitting tank top left little of his gorgeous physique to the imagination. Danny wore a striking red cocktail dress with silk stockings and heels, her hair falling in glossy black waves on either side of a heartbreakingly beautiful face. Two pairs of brilliant blue eyes gazed at each other over an apparent distance of maybe two meters. Wow, Daniel said. Wow yourself, Danny answered. Sasha smirked. Well, it's good to know that neither of you have any self-image problems. The twins laughed at that, both of them starting and stopping in the exact same instant. Okay, now that was just creepy, Sasha said. What did you expect? Danny asked. We're both two halves of the same whole, Daniel said. Yeah, about that, said Danny. I know, sis. Daniel stepped forward and put his hand on her shoulder. You didn't know any better. I forgive you. She nodded, reaching up to cover his hand with her own. And I forgive you for dragging me into this crazy arc rehab place. I just wish we could have talked sooner. We've never been much for self-reflection, Daniel admitted. Other than feeling sorry for ourselves, Danny said. Oh yes, we've got a lot of practice at that. Practically got it down to an art form. We could teach a class. Advanced pity techniques, and how to screw up your life in six easy steps. Did it take us that many? Dunno, I've lost count. They both smiled. Danny's faded first. What do you think about this psychic reconstruction thing? Daniel grimaced. I'm not crazy about the idea of letting someone mess with your mind anymore. Do you really think it's the best way to help us? Dunno, Danny admitted but it's the only way we've thought of, and I'd rather be doing something than sit around here waiting for Artax to come up with something better. She reached down below her breasts and, unexpectedly, flipped open a hidden panel, 
exposing a hollow chamber where her insides should be. Daniel and Sasha both took a step back, and Sasha saw her own shock mirrored on Daniel's face. I make a pretty picture, Daniel, but I'm empty, Danny said gravely. There's almost nothing on the inside that's really me. She flipped the panel shut again. It melded into the rest of her body, leaving no hint that it had ever been there. She stepped forward and took his hands in hers. I want to be able to be a sister to you, she said. Not just this... this shell of a person living off your memories. If we do this, if we join Brian's cell, then our body's gonna have to be female for a long time. She reached up and touched his cheek. I need you close enough to me that you don't feel trapped by that. But I can't stand next to you if I don't have a sense of myself to stand on. Does that make sense? Daniel sighed and nodded. He put his hands on her shoulders and leaned forward, touching his forehead against hers. Yeah, I get it. All right, let's do it. If it helps you feel like a real person, it'll be worth it. He paused. Do me a favor, though? She leaned back and looked into his eyes. What's that? He smiled. Make sure you let me in on the gestalts. You were bonding with Rebecca earlier, and I missed that. She blushed. Sorry. I keep forgetting that I have to let you out for stuff like that. She shrugged. Actually, I'm not even really sure how to let you out, unless Sasha's there to do the work for me. I'll practice with you, Sasha said. You shouldn't really need me to do it once you see how it works. Danny nodded and smiled back at Daniel. This is pretty nice too, actually, she said, wrapping him in a hug. We should see if this whole meeting of the minds thing will work in VR. She winked. If nothing else, maybe it'll give you a chance to be yourself for a while during those long months of pregnancy and nursing. Daniel blanched, and Danny laughed. One step at a time here, okay? I'm still getting used to the idea of you having sex with men. Danny grinned wickedly. What's the matter, bro? Does it make you feel all funny inside? Imagining a nice hard cock sliding up inside our hot, wet... <laughs> Daniel clamped a hand over her mouth. Danny giggled like a madwoman, her blue eyes sparkling. You are evil, you know that? Daniel said. She chewed on his hand playfully until he let her go. Takes one to know one, she said. <laughs> Brat. Doofus. They laughed in unison again. Have I mentioned how creepy that is? Sasha asked. Daniel and Danny embraced again, holding each other tightly. Maybe you'd better take the reins for a while, Danny said. Just in case there's any trace of... well... Whatever it was that was throwing me off balance when Jared was around. Yeah, probably a good idea, Daniel sighed. I'm sorry it didn't work out with him. I know you loved him. Still do, Danny admitted. But I love you and Bex, too. And now that you're here, I don't know how I ever thought I was going to live my life without you. She smiled ruefully. We only get one chance at this whole life thing, you know? You want to walk through one door, you gotta close another. Daniel nodded. Well, I know one door I want to walk through. Ready to get out of here, sis? Danny kissed him once on the cheek, then stepped back from him. 
You bet. She straightened and gave him a mock salute. All operations normal, Mr. Shirabi. You may take the con. He grinned and saluted back to her. Thank you, Miss Shirabi. I have the con. Danny faded into the darkness, slipping out of the link and into the back of their shared mind. Sasha dissolved the psychic plane, and then she and Daniel disengaged as well. Sasha opened her eyes and saw Daniel sitting on the bed, looking distinctly uncomfortable in Danny's baby doll t-shirt and tight-fitting jeans. Rebecca was trying hard not to laugh. Daniel grimaced. I really wish she would warn me before she does that. Eastside General Hospital, Psychiatric Ward As they entered the waiting room, Daniel was surprised to find another familiar face waiting for him. Fiona, come to share some of that Sathmoran luck with me? Fiona smirked. In light of my recent experiences, I doubt that genetic luck has anything to do with being Sathmoran. No, I'm here for a personal matter of my own. The sudden seriousness in her voice made Daniel's eyebrows go up. Yeah? She nodded once. I fear I haven't been looking as closely in the mirror as I ought to, she said, softly and with unusual humility. There are old wounds that need to be addressed. Daniel put his hand on her elbow, which was about as much intimacy as she usually allowed. Well, hey, sounds like we're sort of in the same boat. If you ever need someone to talk to about it, you know where to find me. He grinned. <laughs> Probably in the padded cell next to yours. She snorted at that. Then she surprised him by reaching up to cover his hand with her own. I'll be grateful for the company. Then, with a smirk, she added, It will be interesting to see which of us is first to resolve our respective problems. It's always about competition with you, isn't it? Fiona chuckled and spread her hands, as if to say, Guilty as charged. She extended her hands toward Daniel, palms up, and he clasped arms with her in the ancient gesture of friendship. Their minds touched each other at the same time, with a warmth and camaraderie that Daniel hadn't felt from Fiona in far too long. For the first time in years, they were on the same playing field, facing the same goal, and victory for one of them was victory for them both. He hadn't realized how much he had missed that feeling until that moment. The door at the back of the waiting room opened, and a doctor emerged, smiling at them expectantly. Daniel? Fiona? We're ready for you. Daniel exchanged a look with Fiona. Now comes the hard part. She nodded in silent agreement. After taking a moment to embrace Rebecca and Sasha, they walked toward the door together. How do I look? Lena adjusted the collar of Miriam's blouse and brushed a lock of hair into place. Like a beautiful, living woman, mistress, she said, smiling. Your own doctor wouldn't know the difference. Miriam had removed Lena's chain and given her some of the clothes that they had found in the drawers and closets of the apartment. The pink t-shirt and jean shorts the half-elf now wore didn't really suit her, but there would be time for shopping later. 
Braddock had called with her first orders, to re-establish contact with her fellow elders and dispel any suspicions about her disappearance. She reached out for the Hive's psychic network and connected to it easily. Several nearby teeps signaled their relief at her safety. They had heard about a subway accident and feared that she had been on board, despite official reports that there had been no casualties. Miriam recognized the cover story for what it was and played along, telling them that she had been injured in the crash but had now made a full recovery. Yes, she had stayed in hiding until the regenerative powers had healed her. No, she didn't think the train had been a deliberate assassination attempt, but she had laid low to avoid taking any chances. They accepted the story without hesitation, obediently passing on her request to meet with the other elders. The response came back within minutes. They would meet her tonight at her office on the Westfall campus. Everyone was a little nervous after the accident, and Westfall was probably the most closely defended site in the collective. Miriam thanked them for their promptness and broke the link. Lena had cocked her head and was looking at her curiously. Are you all right, mistress? You seem to go away for a minute there. I'm fine, dear, thank you. Has the sun set now? Lena nodded. Just a few minutes ago, mistress. Very well. Miriam put on her suit jacket and retrieved her purse, which one of Braddock's thralls had dropped off earlier that afternoon. She pulled out a credit card and handed it to Lena. I'm going out for a few hours. Get on the world net. Order yourself some food and more suitable clothes. I'll have your ID card returned so you can run errands for me, but until then we'll have to make do with what we can have delivered. Lena's eyes widened. You're going to send me outside? Alone? Miriam shrugged one shoulder. Of course. You are my most important assistant, Seralina Greyhaven. You shall be my eyes and ears in daylight, going where I cannot. Lena began to tremble. I haven't left the tower in so long. I don't know if I can. Miriam took Lena by the shoulders and looked into her eyes. Immediately, the half-elf went still, her mind opening up to Miriam in total submission. Miriam put a telepathic push behind her words so Lena would accept them. You can do this, Miriam said. You are strong and intelligent and capable. I have complete faith in you and your abilities. Be brave, Seralina. You shall not fail me. Miriam broke the link and Lena stood a bit straighter. She nodded once. As you say, mistress, she said, sounding more confident. I won't fail you. Good. You have your orders. Carry on. Lena bowed deeply and went out to the living room to access the WorldNet terminal. Miriam fussed with the cuffs of her jacket a moment longer, wishing that she could still use a mirror. I'll have to invest in a digital camera she thought. It felt strange to be making such plans, but she was in this for the long term. She would play Malcolm's game for now, until she could find some way to subvert the orders her new masters had given her. If Braddock could be killed, it would break the chain of influence they held over her, and she would be free. In the meantime, she would learn the inner workings of Malcolm's organization, and try to help Lena however she could. 
Like it or not, though, her master's orders came first, and first on the list was maintaining the deception. Taking one deep, useless breath to steady herself, she left the apartment and headed for her rendezvous with the elders. Now comes the hard part, she thought. May the Great Maker forgive me. And that's the end of Chapter 45, and the end of Part 2 of Making the Cut. Come back next time, as we begin Part 3, Come Back. Abby's daughter is almost ready to be born, but all is not well in her life with Victor. Anne Patchett said, The more we are willing to separate from distraction and step into the open arms of boredom, the more writing we'll get on the page. So, spread your arms wide, and let's see what I've accomplished this week. Here's the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of September 18th through September 24th. I wrote 1,773 words this week, over the course of two hours, for an average writing speed of 887 words per hour. I worked on writing or the podcast on six out of seven days. This week I finished two back-to-back episodes of the podcast, which allowed me to extend my buffer to a full eight weeks. I also recorded the chapter for next week's episode, and got most of the editing done on it by Wednesday night. I took Thursday off from production, because I had band practice that evening, and there wasn't enough time to work on it earlier in the day. Then I came back on Friday night to write the next script for the podcast. As September draws to a close, I wasn't able to finish recording Making the Cut like I had hoped. However, I did make great progress during the last two months. So far, in eight weeks in August and September, I've recorded and produced 14 chapters of Making the Cut. Thirteen chapters remain, so even if I can only manage one episode a week from here on, I'll still have the book finished by Christmas. Then I can start working on getting Honor Bound ready for its audio debut. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900. Then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. 
For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.